1: Welcome back to the Stranded Phase Podcast. You are here with your girl, Jessica Hurley, and I am here today with a guest. But this is not just any guest. This is somebody that I hold near and dear to me, somebody that I have known for over 20 years. Shit, I'm old. Over 20 years, (laughs) y'all. Like, you know you got friends when you're young, but you're lucky if you're able to keep them in your life. This is somebody that I have had around since I was probably 10 years old, We've been able to maintain a friendship through high school, through college, through relationships, through marriage, through growing families, and just growing through our careers. And it's been incredible to be there for each other. And this is literally somebody I call my very best friend. He's had one hell of a journey and one hell of a life. And I'm so excited to have him back on the Stranded Podcast to talk about his story. So I'm welcoming my best friend, Y'all get to get into his juicy life, <laughs> Rontel Beatty.
2: What's up, everybody? Uh, Hurley, I think this is uh, maybe my second or third time on your show. If I remember correctly, wasn't I among the first when you first got started?
1: Oh, f- here we go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, it that, that literally just came to my mind. I'm like, I think I might have been the first or close to the first.
1: So you were my very first guest. And it's okay. so funny because I've had over almost 200 episodes now. So
2: That's crazy. Wow.
1: every Brilliant. now and then I'll have someone that will go all the way back. I had someone like three months ago that went all the way back and said, Hey, what happened to the guy that ran for Congress? Is he a congressman wow. now? And wow. I was like, no, long story. We need wow. to update that. So I we'll talk about that. <laughs> let's talk about I we'll that. Talk about but you were my first guest. You wow. were literally my first guest. And I told this story on a podcast episode that's releasing next week that I started my podcast twice, recorded two episodes. They sounded like shit. And no offense, not that you weren't a good guest, but the reason why I had you on and some other people was because I had to interview someone because I was so nervous to do a solo episode that I was like, well, I know a bunch of cool people. I can bring them on, but I cannot do this by myself. I'm too nervous. And so I had you as my first guest and it was like a recorded call line. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. So to we go from- testing
2: out the technology. You're doing it with a person you knew wouldn't judge you, that supported you. It didn't matter how it turned out. Um, so I, I completely you know, understand where you're coming from on that.
1: You were the perfect person to test it out on and not be judged. And yeah, even if yeah. you did judge me, just do it after, you know, you do it after that you hang out. Behind your back.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But at the same time, like, I, hey, you might want to uh, change up that software. <laughs>
1: right, 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 right. Because and we got to make was... each other
2: better. You know, iron sharpens iron.
1: Oh, we ain't even got in it yet. Just hold on. (laughs) It's too good already. (laughs) So, all right. So first things first, first podcast episode I ever did was with you and we were interviewing you literally while you were on the trail running for Congress, correct?
2: Yeah, that is right. Wow. Lifelong.
1: Yeah. So my first podcast episode I recorded with you, I think that was November, 2017.
2: That sounds right.
1: Yep. Wow. And so to go from that to now... April 2020, life's very different. Coronavirus,
2: so ex- quarantine, <laughs> um, married now. I'm expecting my first child in what? four and a half months. I'm not a member of Congress. I'm still in politics though. Yeah, so many things are different. I'm 31 years old and- We're old you know, as fuck. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people that, you know, try to plan your life out five, 10 years, 20 years ahead. And, um, you know, I was pretty accurate- for like the first twenty-five years, I'm like I'm on a roll. I know exactly where I'm going to be. Here I am doing something completely different than I thought I would be doing. Living in a place I didn't think I'd be living. Married to a woman that I did not think you know I'd be married to. It just nothing. Life is just you tell you know you tell God your plans, and you know, he reminds you that he's God. He has plans for us that uh you know that are not always aligned, but always better. I will say my life is better than I envisioned.
1: It's exactly what you said. If you would have went with your expectations and your vision, you would have undersold yourself. Absolutely. Undersold yourself. God gave you something so much better. That's my favorite part is he gave you something so much better. And a lot of people would hear this and go, how? Because the whole life that I knew you from 21 to 26, you could tell anybody that I'm going to do this. I'm going to work for X amount of years. I'm going to do this on Capitol Hill and then I'm going to run for Congress. Yeah. That was the plan. What happened?
2: Well, I did that. That was the plan. And um and I also thought about the way in which I worded it. I've been reflecting on it a lot. I always said, I'm gonna run for Congress very young. You know, I'm gonna graduate from college. I'm gonna, you know, work in the Florida House of Reps. I did that. I'm gonna work for the governor. I did that. I'm gonna to move to DC. I'm gonna run these prominent congressional internship and fellowship programs through the congressional black caucus foundation i did that for three years and i said i want to work on capitol hill i want to work for a member of congress i did that i said i wanted to be a speech writer for elected officials i did that in some my speech i was a speech writer for um, like three elected officials and a couple ceos and then uh i said i wanted to run for congress now I did that too. But one of the things I thought about, I never said I would run and win. I never like worded it as like, you will become Mm. a member of Congress. I never said that. As many times as I talked about running, I never said becoming a member of Congress. And I'm a visual person. God speaks to me in dreams. And, you know, I daydream all the time about what I want my life to look like. And as many times as I saw myself on that campaign trail, I never, ever saw myself in the actual Capitol building with my name on the door. I never had any dreams about it. And here I am, you know, I, I never saw this either, but um, you know, again, uh, there was a point in time where, you know, you've done all you can, you do as much as you can do everything you have the power to do. And then um, you'll get this, you know, this feeling in your gut. It's not nausea. It's not indigestion, but a lot of times it's God telling you that, you know, he has something different for you and to just trust him. And, you know, I was just put out on a limb, like my last, three or four years in my twenties, you know, I was just, I felt like I was just constantly, you know, arriving at crossroads where, you know, I had to go either left or right. And I didn't know where either of those would take me. Um, And I would always just pray and ask God which way he wanted me to go. And he took me down a road that, you know, was just very unfamiliar every single time, you know, one in which I learned a lot. I got very dirty, suffered a few broken bones, um, got lost, but um, it's like, I came out of the woods every time a better person I always arrived at like a, just a beautiful oasis. So it just resource. So, and, and I think that's the way I approach life now, making the most of what I have in front of me, knowing that greater awaits if I'm to honor and just trust, you know, the, the God who was, who was the center of my life.
1: So this is literally the message of the stranded phase, but I want to get to the real, real Mm -hmm. you're, you're painting this picture and it's absolutely beautiful. And for most of us, we know on the other side of adversity is the truth is the greatest version of us is things that we can't on our own see. Right. And that is literally what you have uncovered. But The moment that you had to drop out of the race, Mm -hmm. it didn't feel that way.
2: Oh God. I felt like a failure. Right? Yeah. Because the other thing is, I didn't lose the race. Right. I didn't, um, have more ballots cast against me. I had to drop out of this race before qualifying the state of Florida has a interesting qualifying mechanism by which candidates for Congress have to write, you know, 10 something thousand dollar check to qualify for the ballot or you have to get, um, you know, a certain number of petitions as based upon the number of people that voted in the last presidential election. And, um, You know, I was working with just bare bones down there. Uh, I didn't I raised the weird thing is I was raising money from more donors than my opponents. Like I I probably had four times as many donors than the other folks in the race. Like my volume was crazy, but my donors were not rich people. So, uh, you know, these donations are coming in. Fifty dollars, one hundred dollars, two fifty, a few five hundred dollars, you know. I just couldn't compete with, you know, the 20 to 25 donations that my opponent had that were all at $2,700 a piece. So um, when qualifying came around and I'm doing a financial assessment with some folks in my inner circle and we're looking at my trends in fundraising and what it would need to be in order to be competitive and to win we realized that um, as fortunate as I was for, you know, the support of so many individual donors and so many people who, you know, some people gave me their last, some people gave me to change out their purses and I was appreciative of that, but it wasn't going to, um, you know, get Make me to credit. the, Yeah, it wasn't going to get me to the finish line. I didn't have enough money to hire campaign staff, um, you know, dedicated full-time campaign staff, which you need in a congressional race. I mean, this district was over 200 miles wide. You know, that required a lot of resources. I, um, you know, I had enough, really just enough money to to cover basic campaign expenses. So I made the decision to just, and I prayed on it, but I made the decision to just withdraw from the race and see what else is out there. I felt like I, I don't regret running. I think that, um, you know, I was called to run at that time. I know that God asked me to do that at that time for a reason. I learned a lot. I got, um, you know, a lot out of it. But he called me home early. Three years later, I still don't have all the answers as to why. I'm still stranded Mm. because... I dedicated a lot to that particular dream. And a
1: decade, over a decade. A
2: decade. I trained for it. I had really, really good ideas. I had great responses from, from people. I had a lot of. This is promises. like
1: running in the Olympics and having to walk off before you get to the finish line.
2: Exactly. Exactly. You train for something, you know, 10 years and, you know, yep, 20 yards before the uh, finish line, you got to just walk off the track. Something happened. Can't would you finish.
1: You, would you run again?
2: That I don't know. So I went through phases of dealing with this question because that's the natural thing you get when you run. People say, "Well, are you going to run again?" And uh, I still don't know. I'm. Um, I feel like the process jaded me a little bit. I've lost a lot of interest in politics generally. Not, you know, I'm still passionate about, you know, serving my community and you know helping people. I've just found other ways to do that but the reason why I always say I, I won't close off that possibility is because who's to say that Not time the leader that they was, need yeah you know that time might have been a stepping stool for me to you know go again in a few years you know because I if I ran again there's so many things I would do differently
1: running right? and failing what did you learn
2: running and failing you mean from a political standpoint or just generally
1: just generally because we could get real deep into that I know okay. there's mistakes made that you would uncover and fix but
2: i'll start with the biggest lesson i learned which is if you want to run you just got to do it you feel like if you feel compelled to run you just have to do it because there's this they're like unwritten rules especially within the democratic party that people need to wait their turn to run especially young people wait mm-hmm. your turn right the problem with that is you have some people in comments that are saying office oh, as 20 30 years so if you're you know you're 20 years old, your district is dying for someone that they can relate to, dying for new leadership, new blood, dying for someone that understands the burden of student loans is going to go in there and propose solutions to help folks deal with the economy as it is now. But you got to wait 25 years because so-and-so has been in office uh, forever and incumbents have a a 98% incumbency rate. You know, a lot of folks wait their turn, and the first thing I learned was that um, it's good to not wait your turn if you know that you're capable and you got the the gusto and the the, the fortitude to to run. You should do it because, and I think Chris posted your fiance posted something about this on Instagram a couple of days ago. Like, failing is not really failing. There's a, there's a lesson in failing, right? So, you know, what I take from having a withdrawal was that uh
1: first attempt in learning. Yeah. First, Failure attempt is your learning. first attempt in learning. It's the first
2: attempt in learning. And so
1: the best way I heard it explained was by uh, someone named a mindset coach named David Bayer. And he explained that when they build artificial intelligence, that you can set, you can set the robot down to play chess and hmm. it's never seen a chessboard in its life. And it will literally just try and it'll fail. And then it'll try and it'll fail and it'll try and it'll fail. And it said, it sits there for about 15 minutes. And then all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. It'll whoop ass. And it said, all it's doing is collecting data points. It doesn't do it, fail and get up and walk away. It does it, does it, does it, does it, does it, does it. it. Okay. I'm collecting data points. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Okay. Now I know what works.
2: Precisely. So one of the things that I realized would not have worked very well for me back at that time, but will work for me in the future is that, uh, when I ran, you know, I ran as a, a scrappy, you know, young, hungry person, but I was, you know, poor. I was, I was not financially stable because I'm, I was burdened bogged down my student loans. I didn't have a high salary. Just my, my life wasn't in order. And, um, had I been elected, I think that, uh, those personal challenges would have made it harder to serve.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: first lesson being take the time to focus on yourself. It's okay to be selfish, as we always say. So, when you know, first thing when I did, when I got a race, I started focusing on myself, focusing on my personal finance, focusing on my health, focusing on all these other things to make myself stronger and just ready for, you know, if that challenge came again, because running, you know, for any elected office is very difficult. You're dealing with, uh, you know, so many pressures. You know, to dealing with the media is crazy alone dealing social media is even crazier and uh you have to be in the right headspace, you know to 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 deal with those things and um you know i thought i was ready for them at 29 i think i did a pretty good job at dealing with them but i think they would have really have eaten away at me Mm. um, really gotten my you know just really hindered my ability to serve the way in which i wanted to serve you know another thing that um i learned was that I was so glad I ran when I ran, despite the people, you know, because there were some people who said that you should wait your turn. I was glad I ran when I did, because I learned a lot about the role that political parties play in all this. So I was running against a guy that uh, he's a Democrat, but he's probably the most conservative Democrat we've seen. Mm. A lot of his viewpoints are not very Democratic at all. He was the only Democrat. Clapping for President Trump at his first uh, State of the Union address, he got a personal shout out, a personal thank you for. Pre- I mean, th- this is the the guy that I was running against. I mean, he's you know a lot of Dems in D.C. were not happy, and um, I was. He's the reason why folks asked me to run. You know, like, listen, he's he's right. not he's not serving the people the way in which we think they need to be served. Um, you know, a lot of voters in Jacksonville and Tallahassee were saying they just wanted a different kind of leadership. So, um, you know, people. Asked me to run and they promised to support me if I ran. Right? They promised, oh, we got your back. I jumped out there and I did it, you know, and I realized I'm on a boat all by myself and I'm trying to cash in all these promises that people made me. Hey, you promised you were going to donate this. Hey, you promised you were going to, you know, handle my communications. You promised you were going to manage my campaign. You promised, you promised, you promised. And after I filed, I put myself out there none of these people are delivering on their promises. It's like they're all just on the beach watching me on a boat that's slowly sinking. They all have, you know, these uh, are lifesavers in their hand. They can all throw a lifesaver, but it's sad. They just got their phone out just watching me sink. It's like they want
1: to see see if
2: I'm strong enough to swim to the shore by myself. Like, let's see if he can win by himself. I know I promised him this, but let's see if he can win by himself. And you know, that was a tough lesson for me to learn.
1: God, this ties into life. This is yeah. like every time somebody has ever thought that the the premise or the foundation of their successful business could rely on friends or, you know, their friends making them rich or people around mm-hmm. them buying from them or And I get the same comment every time I jumped out there and started this business and my friends won't support me. Nobody's yeah. supporting me. Nobody shares my content. Nobody, nobody's even clapped for me. Nobody's mm-hmm. told me that they're proud of me. Like, And you had promises. You had commitments. You had people like, yeah, if you just get the balls and the courage to jump out there and do it, we got you. But the problem was, is one, those were empty promises. But two, I bet a lot of people never thought you would actually do it.
2: I think so, too. You remember the night, uh, 2015, when uh, I'm speaking at this huge dinner in front of the president and 60 to 70 members of Congress. I mean, every prominent entertainer and athlete you can think of and for just 4,000 other people, I mean, it was a, it was a huge stage. And, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm literally giving a speech in front of president Obama and first lady and Hillary Clinton and all these people. And I go up there and I rock the stage. like out okay. of all the people that spoke. I rocked the stage. When I got off that stage. I'm just swarmed by all these people who tell me I'm the future of the party. I'm the future of the caucus. I'm the future of this. I'm the future of that. We need to get you ready. Hey, what would, you know, what will it take for you to run? And I just, I hear this, for two to three years after that moment. You know, um, I, for years, I just thought I was next up, right? And the moment I actually jump out there to to do what folks said that I should do, what folks promised they would help me do, they're like, ah, you know, not your time.
1: <laughs> we weren't, we didn't mean right we didn't now. You,
2: you know, we weren't <laughs> real. Like, yeah.
1: So when you say... OK, so empty promises. Absolutely. Tough lesson to learn. But like, mm-hmm. would you say you were bitter at that time about that? Like, what happened to all these people that made these promises? Oh, like, I were was, you bitter?
2: I was very bitter. I was bitter.
1: Like they made me believe I could do this.
2: <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's hard to talk about this. naming names because names would make this a <laughs> whole lot. Make this a, you know, yeah. <laughs> it'll make a whole lot more sense. But um, yeah, I, I was very bitter because I was close to a lot of people. And some of the people that took backroom meetings with me, like invited me over to their house for dinner or for wine or, you know, had coffee with me at Starbucks down the street and promised all this stuff. These people were in a real position to help. I mean, the buy-in of these people that made promises would have put me over the top. There's no way I wouldn't have won without the help of the people that I'm talking about. But for whatever reason, they never showed up for me. So, second lesson being um before you jump out there and put your name on a ballot make sure people are cashing in on their promises you know on the front end because mm-hmm. after i ran for congress i will say um running for congress gave me a platform so you know i was a poor candidate but i mean i'm still getting invited to all these um rallies and events so i had a platform you know i was still rocking mics everywhere i went i was still um you know showing folks how i was different I was. You know, I'm the, I'm the kind of guy that's helping you take out the trash out that campaign event. I'm not just like hopping in my van and leaving. So, um, you know, people were seeing that I was different. I was building a whole lot of steam. I had a social media presence that was unrivaled by my opponents. Um, and, you know, even, I, even though I had to withdraw from the race, it's, I still caught the eye of all these politicals in Florida. I caught the eye of all these folks within the state Democratic Party. And um, when I got out, you know, people were calling trying to figure out what my next step was. Hey, uh, you know, sorry, things didn't work out, but we want to, you know, talk about your future. Right. And I'm like, okay, well maybe, you know, running wasn't running and withdrawing wasn't the worst thing in the world. Like people are still seeing that I have, you know, charisma and potential to be something else. And uh, they gave me a slew of other things that they would support me in. Right. Uh, you should jump out and run in, in this race. You know, we'll get you filed by next week and, you know, we'll, uh, we'll give you this amount of money and we'll, you know, we'll hook you up with a campaign staff. We'll we'll do this. We'll do that. Right. And it sounded great, especially because it was coming from, you know, the right people. But I'm thinking it back to my first race, prove it, put it on the table, go, you know, go raise the money. Now, show me who these staffers are. Um, And I gave them time to do it. And most folks say, okay, yeah, no problem. We'll go out and we'll talk to folks and we'll set up these meetings and, and assure you that all this stuff is there. And most of it came back empty. So thank you know, and, and I thought to myself like, thank God I didn't, you know, get swindled into, um, you know, pursuing another opportunity that you know could have, just you know, left me out and, and you know left me out to dry. So, going back to your original question, will I run again? I might. Um, I think that you know, in in the future I'll be. In a a better position to do it, but I, I know what to ask for on the front end, and, and I, I know and I know if I don't get it, then um, I probably won't jump out there. So
1: this is so good because from a from a business aspect, you have to. This is different because from a business aspect, you have to learn and be prepared for it to cash empty checks. You got to know that sometimes this business might might be on your back. You mm-hmm. might be the only one carrying it, but from a political standpoint, you can't carry a race and run on the trail on your own. It's impossible.
2: Okay. Yeah. You need people.
1: I remember one point calling you and you had all these dope social media posts. You had this great website. And I was like, yo, you're killing it. And I was like, mm-hmm. who's doing this and who's doing that? And you were naming like friends of ours. Like mm-hmm. you had close friends that were making no more money than we were doing yep. half of these things for you. Yep. And it was mm-hmm. like the people closest to you were playing these roles, but none of these people that could have really made mountains move we stepping forward and this wasn't something that you could carry on your back.
2: Right. Well, and, and those are the people that again, pushed me into it. You know, the people that so, the I feel
1: like what's so interesting though, is that now you've stepped away from it and you did a really interesting move after that, which I want to talk about, but <laughs> now you're in a situation where your circle's different. You could have that yeah. kind of support. Yeah. You are ready financially to jump out there. Yeah. Like it's it's so interesting because you said at one point you left and became better, right? You stepped yep. out of that and became better. And you kind of started and jumped out there rugged and, you know, poor, poorer, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like now you you would serve from such a different place. And those conversations might look very, very different because you have spent the last, the time since then becoming like better in the most insurmountable way.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that uh you know, I don't know, Hurley. I I feel like um I get the question so much these days. And I think it was last year the uh the local Democratic Party in Northeast Florida went so far I mean they were blowing my phone up, but they went so far as to create a website. That says draft Rontel. There's a huge picture of me and they're like, you know, there's a, my bio, they found all these videos of me and they're begging people to sign a petition to get me to jump into the race and run again. Right. So they, um, and mind you, I would, I was dialing these folks number during the first race. I'm begging for support. You know, I'm asking them to show up at my events. I'm asking them to help volunteer pass out flyers. I'm getting nothing. Right. I withdraw, now they're banging down my door, getting petitions, trying to get me to run again. I'm like, where was the support? The first then, time,
1: yeah. where was the support then? And what would make me believe that I would be able to receive that same report? I mean, same support now.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's
1: like a swindle. It's like a the highest form of manipulation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, you know, you know, that's politics has a, a certain element of that. Uh, I, I've been in for a decade. I know it's just different when you're the candidate. It's different when your name is on the ballot. And for years, I always said, oh, that's easy. You can do it. But when you put yourself out there, it's different, man. It's All right,
1: different. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question that is coming from a very personal place. Okay. And I hope the answer doesn't fuck you up five years from now. But... <laughs> <laughs> I believe, well, not what I believe, but I absolutely believe there's an opportunity for you to run again. And I, I wouldn't doubt that there might not be a time in the near future that you feel called to run again. Mm-hmm. And I think running or um, running and winning and then operating from that place would give you this insane platform to serve from. And one right. thing I know about you is there's no one better to serve. You couldn't, you couldn't handpick like a flower somebody that would be better to serve than you, I know your heart, I know your soul, and I know what you're willing to do for the community. And they have no idea that it's unmatched. But then there's this piece. I know your heart and I know your soul and I know the ability you have to serve, which makes me wonder, even though that's such a powerful platform, it's also corrupt. It can be misleading. It can do a lot of things to a lot of people. And I mean, just from the outside looking in, we saw how gray Obama got real fast. (laughs) And I look at you and I think you could serve at that level from any role.
2: I think you're right, Hurley. Uh, And and failing forced me to realize that. Mm. Right. I had no choice but to think about alternative ways to use the the things that were inside of me. Right. And you're absolutely right. You know, that's one of the things I worried about because, um, you know, especially when politicians are starting out. I mean, they're your hero. I mean, these are your community leaders. They're popular. Everybody likes them. And it seems like as soon as they get in office, they just start disappointing you. You start questioning their decisions and wondering, you know, why did they say this or why didn't they do this? And it's because the institution that they're operating in um, doesn't always have the best interests of people at heart. And, um, you know, a lot of times they're forced to make decisions that, are not in the best interest. And because we have such limited information, we just can't arrive at the same conclusion. And it, you know, and it ends up disappointing the people that support them. And that's one of the things that would kill me. I would hate to disappoint the people that have supported me and the think so highly of me. I mean, that kept me at, up at night all the time. Just, um, you know, being forced to make decisions or say things or not say things um, because the powers that be, you know, because of some closed door meeting, like, a has to happen in order for b to happen in order for c to happen so ron you can't say anything on this when my people back home are relying on me to say something right right I um, i mean you could just think back to uh just think back to like all the um the 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 unarmed killings of you know black men at the hands of police officers I won't name any names, but there are a lot of uh, folks in higher office that could have said a lot more and done a lot more and just didn't because their hands are tied, because they, re- they rely on the support of the you know, law enforcement community to get elected every year or every other year, right? And you uh, know I mean, that's a tough position for a lot of people to be in. So uh, I-, I think that I kind of, I kinda, I'm well, in break-
1: that's far more important than the lives. Yeah, that's, that's far more important.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, everybody draws their line. Like for me, I don't think that uh, <laughs> that wouldn't have been my issue at all. <laughs> like I would have, right. been, you know, I, I don't know what I would have to compromise on. I would like to think it'd be nothing, but you know, I'm not in a position. So um, remains to be seen. But one of the things I do like is that I'm in a place now where I can say whatever the hell I want to. I don't give a damn what anybody say because I'm only accountable to me and my family. Right.
1: With power with power comes this control. I mean, I was listening to someone say this the other day that, you know, there's so many people that hate Trump so much, but he's truly a puppeteer. Yeah. And I look and I, I think about you possibly be in that position. And I'm like, I can't even imagine. Like, I feel like you wouldn't even be the person that we know you to be. No, so no. Sometimes I wonder if you wonder that if this was, you know, somebody loses something that has been their forever goal and you're stuck in between, was this a redirection from God or was this devil, was this the devil taking away from me what I always wanted?
2: All right. You, you didn't, you didn't brought your shovel out. So we got got, back and we're going (laughs) to get into it. Me and Ebony have talked about this at length. And one of the things that, one of the other things that always gives me pause about running, running again is um, when I launched my campaign and i had to hire some messaging strategists okay what's your platform what are you going to run on um and of course these are all like progressive democratic strategists that's telling me the things that i need to be saying the words that need to be on my website i mean a lot of this stuff is not even coming from me like day one people are robbing me of my voice and telling me what's going to resonate with voters and you know when i think back on the stuff that was on my website and some of the stuff i was told to say i only agree with about half of it personally A lot of it was just planted there. My voice was already muted, muted, but I couldn't, I felt it, but I felt like I couldn't do anything about it because I was already in it. I needed the help of these people. And you you were focused on the outcome. I'm focused on the outcome. And
1: because once I get in office, things will be different.
2: Exactly. But in reality, they would have just surrounded me, surrounded me with another group of experts you know, just telling me what's best. Been far
1: more influential and, exactly. and far less reasonable.
2: Exactly. So, yeah, uh, if if I did it again, it would things would just have, have to be so different, and I, I would want to do it from a place of authenticity where I could be myself, and that means not relying on other people for money because with money there are always strings. You know, people want you to look a certain way, talk a certain way, say certain things and the way that our electoral system is set up. You just, the only way you can, can do that is if you can self finance. Right.
1: That was going to be my next question is like Trump's Trump set a pretty interesting tone. He's pretty wild. He's pretty out there. But do you think like, do you think from a political point of view, are people ready for that? Like authenticity and, you know, like, being your full self with your full opinion like
2: that's where we're at you know trump trump created that and and you know i'm I, i'm actually happy about that part of his uh his service because um he 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 forced us to rely less on speech writers um, cut the shit cut the shit like just <laughs> be yourself um and a lot I'm of not really, gonna
1: stand up here and pretend to be uber smart or like damn. I've read every 1,000 page document for you. I'm gonna let you know that this person over here told me before I got in here that this is yeah. this is what's actually happening.
2: Right now, the Dems are still struggling with that. So um, a lot of Dems are having a hard time disposing of their canned speeches and just you know talking the way that he talks. Like, what's our version? What's our version of keeping it real? Right. Right. Nobody really knows what that is yet. I have an idea. I know how I would be if I kept it a book. I used to um, even after the race, like I I I used to tell my wife all the time uh, because I would get a requests for you know to be on television, like live television or um, live radio, and I denied ninety nine percent of them because I would always say I'm gonna get out get on there and say some shit. And
1: uh, <laughs> that I can never take back if I want to run again. <laughs> yeah,
2: but exactly. Exactly. And and that's the that's the pressure that, uh, you know, it's the pressure of running, especially running as a dem, running as a man of color. Like you feel like if you are too much of yourself, you'll get exiled. Right. And then that's still where I'm at. I, I still limit um, the things that I say publicly because I want I don't want to ruin myself of, you know, whatever f- Future opportunities that could be out there, but as I was telling you last week on IG Live, I'm also in this place where I'm becoming less risk averse and just not giving a fuck. So, you know, what will be will be. Another reason why you're the only person I accept interviews from. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Italy. Well, aren't I blessed? I, I'm not. I'm not affiliated with any, affiliated with any party. <laughs> we are good to go out here.
2: <laughs> it's just you know. I, I, it's just us talking, two friends talking. Um, exactly. And, you know, we're still talking about the same stuff, but.
1: But it sounded, it hit different. It, hit, These it hit, different. hit different now.
2: It's coming from a good place, you know, it's come, for all the right reasons. It's, you know, I know it's not being used to, you know, in a manipulative way. So, yeah, I'm Man. happy about that.
1: So before we get into where you're at right now, because it looks so different, and I can't wait to dive into this, especially so different from my point of view and what I'm used to, like the Mm -hmm. perfectly polished, I'm on a mission always, I'm blinded from my Mm -hmm. left to my right, and I can only see straightforward Rontel, version of Rontel, to who you are now is just such a breath of fresh air. But I just, and I'm just inserting my bullshit opinion, but... I think there's such a a powerful platform for you to lead from. I think that you and I talk about this all the time, that we both know that our words are incredibly powerful and that for some reason on God's earth, we have no idea why, but we can both look each other in the eye and say, we understand that we were given this gift. We have this gift to move people, transform people, help people, serve people and and have a lasting impression and make them feel some type of way. And it's just, I don't know why we've both always had it. We've both always done it in different ways. And I think you will always possess that gift. And again, just inserting my bullshit opinion, but I think. It's not bullshit. (laughs) I think you will do this so powerfully from anywhere. And I think, I think from that role, um,
2: would limit you I think so too you're absolutely right and the first time I started to realize that was uh, my first trip to California California fucked me up in the head man it ruined my life in it was a good the best way.
1: thing that ever happened to you <laughs> uh,
2: my my wife's from California she's from uh, LA area place called Rancho Palos Verdes um, and when we got engaged I think my first trip out there was we were going out there for an engagement party and it was just a completely different world. I mean, the sky was a different color. Blue, the air was just, I mean, some, people say the air isn't clean, but I mean, I, I felt great out there. And, it was crisp uh, to me. <laughs> it was crisp to me, right? And, uh, you know, she lives up in the hills. Um, she had a lot of friends that were just different than the friends I had in D.C., the people that I'd even seen her in right. I mean, these folks were just different. They were all laid back, cool, the most non-political people you ever want to meet. Right, they were just but wealthy, into,
1: still and powerful.
2: Super wealthy, super powerful. Um, even the ones that were not wealthy, they were just super happy, super chill, mm. intelligent. That's some shit we ain't seen in a while. I have, I, you know, I've never seen happy people like this. I mean, even in the hood, like um, the folks living in the hood were just happy, right? The po- poverty in LA is is different. It's not like <laughs> it's not like the poverty we grew up with. I mean, their poverty. Is st- You know, I'm not gonna get into that, but um LA changed my life in that I realized that I needed to invest more into like my holistic well-being because those people were so happy and just talking about how good they felt every day, um, inside and out. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I feel like shit most days. Like, I'm always tired, or I'm you know, someone pissed me off. Um, I have headaches. I'm trying to figure out, like, how can I walk around with the, the, the joy and the success that these folks have? And, you know. The, and I'll the, be damned if you can
1: have both. I've never seen that.
2: I've never seen it. And uh, so naturally, I'm getting to know a lot of her friends and what they do. And the bulk of them are in entertainment. Right.
1: Mm. So,
2: I mean, they're actors, um, writers, models, photographers, artsy people. And it reminded me of things that I had within me that I had buried because it just wasn't cool where we grew up. Like, ditched I it. Up, right, I dissed it. Right, you know, I grew up playing the drums. I've gr- played the drums in church. I played the drums um, in the marching band. Um, you know, I've always loved music. I, I was a rapper at one point. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Every every 13 (laughs) to 18-year-old was a rapper at one point. (laughs) straight up. up. I had a couple of hits, too.
2: (laughs) Had a couple of hits. Um, But the other thing is I love movies. So me and my brother and my cousin Jarvis, we used to watch movies 24-7. I could recite any movie from start to finish. I don't know why I love movies. My favorite job in high school was working at the movie theater. I literally worked every day that I could for as long of a shift as I could because I love the environment. I love, love, love the movies. It's one of the reasons why I was promoted to manager in high school. I was running a movie theater before I graduated high school. I love the movies.
1: Craziest shit ever.
2: (laughs) But I go to college and I, you know, I'm, I suppress all of these interests and things because like, they're no longer cool. Like, you know, people, oh, you're a good speaker. Let's go the political route. And then from there, like people are just planning your life for you. You just forget about the things that you would have done for free. California Mm -hmm. reminded me of those things. So I get out there and I start rethinking like, you know, what if I, what if I start using my writing ability to, you know, instead of writing speeches for elected officials or speeches for myself, what if I start telling stories that could uplift people and change communities that way? Or, you know, what if I, um, you know what if i start acting what if i start doing this and i start realizing like there are other platforms be, you know beyond the political spectrum so that's kind of the revelation that i've had uh since leaving the campaign trail and you know i'm still i still don't know cuz i'm 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 literally at the the very beginning stages of all this but i still don't really know like If any of it will come to fruition, I feel like it will because it always does in my life. God always gives me a sign. It may not be the next day, but eventually, you know, whatever vision He gave me happens. But that's where I'm at now. I'm just this
1: is okay. So first of all, let them know you're not Tommy from Martin. You don't. You ain't out here with no job. You got a job. Oh
2: yeah. So you ain't just out
1: here like freelancing trying to figure it out. You got a damn job.
2: I have a job. So I am a, a full time lobbyist. I'm still lobbying, uh, lobby the federal government for yeah. a number of different uh number of different companies. So I'm still, you know, putting my bachelor's and master's degree at work. Still on Capitol Hill most days. Um, you know, doing the people's work. That's my full time right. job. That's what pays the bills. But in my spare time when I work on my dreams, this is like what I'm working on, right? So
1: you're the host of
2: Oh my God, I have a podcast yes i'm a co-host of a and season podcast it's a podcast my wife and i started back in 2018 i believe yeah it was 18 right yeah 2018 um and it kind of was born out of the idea that couples should start considering doing marriage counseling before an engagement we did that right We were dating and I was sure about her very early on in our relationship. She claimed she was sure about me. Uh, I knew she was, but, you know, how far, you know, how how much do you really trust someone you're just dating? So I decided to um, talk to my pastor. I'm, I'm usually close with the pastor at whatever church I'm attending at the time. And I said, you know, I've had a lot of failed relationships in my life. You know, I've dated a lot of other women that I thought, you know, they were like marriage material, they were wife and material, but they never ended up being my wife. And, you know, after years of just introspection, and you know, trying to figure out, you know, was it me, was it them, was it timing, was it this, was it that? I'm like, well, here I have this amazing woman in front of me. I'm a different person now. I'm at a different place. I know that I, you know, I think that, you know, I'm ready for marriage. I think I could be, you know, a good husband. You know, maybe I should try to, you know, go through marriage counseling now to see if, you know, if we're as compatible as... I think we are. And to see what the spirit tells the two of us, because we're doing it at church with our pastor and we go through this 10 part counseling series with our pastor only to find out that, like, this is indeed what God has in store for us. I mean, we were more compatible than we thought. Uh, Our pastor even said we were the most compatible couple that he had ever counseled. But a lot of people couldn't understand why we would do counseling before getting engaged. People like that sounds crazy. People don't do that.
1: Because so, that's because people want counseling after the problem already occurs. Problem. People today don't do preventative work. They don't.
2: They Period. Don't. So this approach was so crazy, and so many people were taken aback by it. Like you know, Ebony was like, you know, we should do a podcast about this and see if we can make it make sense for people. So that's what we did. We uh, we started the Couple Season podcast. You it know, with the host. Yeah, that we can just talk about the issues that people go through while, like, the main goal being to get people to consider counseling before spending $10,000 on a ring and sending out save the dates and, you know, bringing family and friends into an equation where it may or may not work out. And uh, I don't, I lost track of how many episodes we've done, but we've had over 25,000 downloads since we started. And um, we have, I mean, in downloads from over a hundred countries, five continents, almost every state in the country.
1: You guys were featured on a network or something too, right? Yeah. For an article?
2: Yeah, we're featured on a number of networks. Um, I think Blavity has been a huge, um, you know, huge supporter of ours. Uh, and then there's... Um, that's, and my, my wife does a better job of keeping track of all this stuff. But, you know, a lot of our work gets uh, shared and republished, you know, through a lot of other social network outlets and news media. And actually last week I received, a, I need to respond, but I've received an email from uh, another guy who um wants to interview us on their podcast and there's a guy who created a uh, a new podcasting software system that allows folks to podcasters like you and i to podcast live and interact with their users live and he wants to give us access to it for free because he likes our podcast so much. So it's allowed us to connect with a lot of people. We, um, we've counseled some folks. Ebony has a background in social work and, uh, you know, spent a lot of time, you know, working on children and families, but a lot of the skills is transferable over to just relationship coaching generally. And she's constantly helping people. And, um, you know, we got married in Cancun. So <laughs> with the other thing that we've been doing is, uh, Helping folks navigate like the wedding planning piece, particularly trying to tell people why a destination wedding may be more beneficial than a domestic wedding. And those who do decide to go that route, we've been helping them get everything squared away so that they cannot have the same experience we did. So, you know, a small idea that is just spiraled into something completely different. And guess what? It's not political. I'm able to help people build families. Households. Are you writing,
1: aren't you writing a book, too?
2: I am writing a book. So Look
1: at this level of creativity. Do, do yeah. you ever look at where you're at now and be like, wow, I really like doubted or buried all of yeah. these other talents and abilities. I mean, I think we're so taught when we're chasing a goal that we're like a one trick pony. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden you realize your passion can be used in all these different facets. Mm-hmm. You realize you're far more useful and purposeful in different ways and you never it didn't fit in the vision. Absolutely. What you can only see so far. Absolutely.
2: And the impact is, is different because, um, you know, I thought I only knew one way to impact the lives of other people, but like it makes me feel good to help couples reconnect or, or get closer to one. I never thought I'd get so much joy out of it. Well there was a point in time in my life where I only thought I would get joy out of alleviating poverty, but, you know, it feels good helping people with all the problems that are, you know, not political, Right.
1: And oh my God. That's so, cause so many people think they have, I, I tell people all the time, you'll, you'll have this burning passion and then whatever the first thing is that you cling to that you think you can deliver that or feel mm-hmm. that feeling that you get when you do work in it and you make people move through it. And that's, that's purpose, right? So the yeah. first thing you attach to that, and then you get that feeling in return, you immediately think that that's your life's work. But yeah. sometimes it's, you just really like helping people. Yeah. You just attached it to politics at one point because that's what came natural to you, that's what came easy and that's probably what came first. Or someone told you that. That was a vision that was given to you and eventually you married it.
2: I married it. I married it and I mastered it and I'm moving on to some other things now Uh, because it feels good just tapping into the, you know, the other tools that are in my tool chest. I mean, there's some stuff that's been deep down in there that uh, things I didn't think I needed to build what I, you know, I'm building. For years, I was just swinging a hammer. You know, I was making progress, but I'm making a whole lot more progress after I looked underneath the hammer and saw a screwdriver and saw a drill, then saw a measuring stick. Like, oh, I can, I can build something even better.
1: You got a whole truck now. You're, a, you own a company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh,
2: and the other thing, you know, with that is it, uh, it, it can shock a lot of people around you because a lot of, you know, sometimes people only know you in one space. Like uh, for years, some people don't know me outside of politics. Mm -mm. So the first time they saw me with a relationship podcast, they're like, what the hell is this?
1: (laughs) This looked like an undersell. Like you were like, Mm -hmm. almost like, okay, so I can only imagine people in politics feeling like, okay, so you failed and now you're doing some super weird shit. Oh, you must have lost your cool.
2: Yeah. Is he having a Kanye moment?
1: Right. Right. Is he having a Kanye moment?
2: Yeah. Yeah. How does that make
1: you feel? Does that make you be like, damn, am I? Or is this like true purpose?
2: You do have that question, you know, like, am I going crazy? Am I just like, so desperate to be successful in something? I'm just going to like, leave that alone and try something else. Uh, So I went through that phase and, you know, quickly dismissed it. Because I I just know that's not what it is. Uh, But then the other thing is, you um an element of me like cared a lot about what people thought. So I didn't want people to, you know, look at me and feel like I was falling off. I just felt like I was um, not focused. Uh, And in a way that hindered my work and my creativity because I'm trying to operate within people's expectations. And a lot of the greatness that I can provide extend far beyond those walls. So I had to spend some time not giving a fuck about what people thought in order to deliver what uh, I know people need and what I know I'm capable of delivering. so.
1: God, this all comes back to, this is one of the most valuable lessons I feel like Chris ever taught me was when I first started my podcast and I found myself going from three and a half years to, and this is the truth. And he, he'd agree. I spent the first three and a half years of our relationship catering him, catering to him to prove to him that I was the right woman. Like most women mm. would, you know, we're, we're working our way to try to prove to this man that we're like, I'm the one, let me show you all these yeah. reasons why. Right. And at, and at any time willing to give up anything, you know, not anything, but, you know, really put myself aside in order to do that and fill that void or what, this is really man-made, right? I'm creating this in my mind to 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 please on a different level, right? And at no in that first three and a half years, I was never truly selfish. Yeah. And then now year four, I find myself fo- focusing on all this stuff. We just had a baby, and I realize I'm not spending any time with him. I'm literally working during the day, working at night, working until two a.m., going to bed, getting up the next day, giving him no time, no nothing. And one day, I come to him to apologize, and he looked at me and he said. Don't you ever apologize for being selfish. He said, you spent the first half of our relationship being selfless, trying to prove something to me. I know who you are. Now it's your turn to be selfish. Right. You need to be selfish and focus on you so you can be the best version of yourself. And he said, and then you can go back to be selfless. But you have to be selfish for a while to build something that can't break Yo. build a foundation that will last a lifetime. You have to be selfish for a little while. And this goes to, you can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. I had to be selfish. Yeah. And now I can be selfless. I can give, I can pour, I can, cause I spent two years of my life being selfish as fuck. Yeah. And I learning more about myself than I ever knew.
2: Yeah. Being selfish makes you, gives you the opportunity to become the best version of yourself. And at that point, it makes you a better partner, a better parent. Um, Cause I'll, I'll, I'll even say like, just, you know, I've known you all my life and I've known Chris for, I don't know, five, six years. How long has it been?
1: We've been together six years. So it's been, you've six known years? him for five years.
2: <laughs> so to me, y'all are closer after your selfish years than you were before. Like it's like Absolutely. Being, you being selfish brought y'all closer together in in a, in a weird way. And the same thing happened for me, uh, you know, I, I took a hiatus, uh, you know, after after running and um, even after even before running, I took a hiatus from a lot of things just to focus on myself. I was reading more, running more, cooking my own meals, just, um, you know, spending less time out doing social things, just trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to be doing with my life? Why am I here? And just asking yourself all these deep questions, you know, all all the things you ask yourself at night. And, um, you'd be surprised, like, you know, the quieter you are, the, the easier it is to hear the answer. And, um, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, here I am. Like those selfish years put me in a place now where I'm the happiest I've ever been. I'm the healthiest I've ever been. Um, I don't don't know where Ebony at, but
1: I'm sure she would agree. You're probably a way better husband. Oh my
2: God. (laughs) yo! Like Ebony, she is I don't know, and she was a catalyst for a lot of this stuff because um, she was such a—I just had never met anyone like her before. She was such a phenomenal person. I felt like I was a good guy before, but I—I I, I wanted to step my game up, right? right. Let me start doing some yoga. I, you know, I need to figure out—I <laughs> <laughs> need to figure out ways daily to, you know, to be, become a better version of myself because that's how good I wanted to be for her. And we it's weird, we went from politics to.
1: Relationship did I do that? Nope, this is oh, what this is all about. Okay. I wanted the whole version and <laughs> the whole version, and I want people to understand like the transition is ugly. it requires yeah. like like we said failure fail is the first attempt in learning. You yeah. have to jump out there. you have to gain those data points. You had to like think about how detrimental what we discussed about you. You spent ten years, if not. 14 years of your life chasing one goal to only have to drop out before you ever achieved it to get to this place now where you're living like those people you talked about in Cali. Yeah. Happy in your body, happy in your mind, making wealthy, making more money than you've ever made. Like you and I used to talk about how we had this we knew we had this broke mentality when we felt like we never knew how we were going to get out of it. It How do I make that much money? How are people making this much money? You know, it was, it was based off what we were surrounded with in our, in our forever environments. And it's like, but you, you failed, spent all that time and it, it didn't put you in a place where you'll never, you'll never be there or you'll never be better or you're the worst that you've ever been. You are the best version of yourself on the other side of this failure and it opened up. If I just looked at you as like a black and white picture, I feel Mm -hmm. like running for Congress, it was like half of you. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like failing like opened up all of you.
2: Man, failure, uh, you know, in that regard has, I've just grown so much, man. I've grown so much. And and you're
1: going to be a better daddy.
2: Yes. Yes. I'm I'm excited. And, you know, for many years, the thought of having kids kind of scared me a little bit. You know, I always wondered, you know, would I be ready? How would you take care of them? You know, how much did they cost? <laughs> All this stuff, right? You know, I've never had Sheep kids.
1: Cheap-ass I used <laughs> to always say.
2: <laughs> but... You know, I'm in a place now. I'm not I don't I don't worry about a damn thing. Like he can come tomorrow, I'll be ready. Right. Know, I'll be ready for every aspect of it. Like I'm I'm in I'm in good shape. I'm in you know, good headspace. I live in the biggest place I've ever lived in. I'm building a house. It's gonna be done in a few months. Making more money than I ever thought I would be making ever. I'm married to a person that beautiful inside and me, out that I just I didn't know. Like, you hear, you hear the concept of a soulmate. You hear the, the concept of just finding your person. But, man, when you actually find that person, it's like, it's crazy. You feel invincible, like you can do anything. Which Woo! is another reason why I feel like I'm so risk-averse now. I feel like I can do any damn thing now, probably because of her. If I was by myself, I think I'd be, like, a little bit more cautious with some of the decisions I make. But knowing she got my back, I'm like, ah, I'll try it.
1: There's something about a real backbone, something about a real backbone. Yeah. You feel like you can just run out there and jump. And if you yeah. got to come home crying,
2: they'll still be there. Absolutely. You know, she, had me, she had me trying, like, I, I'm bold enough to try sushi, knowing I'm allergic to seafood. I mean, that's how. <laughs> it <inside the> film. <laughs> 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 oh, last time I had some California. She just drove me to CVS and got some Benadryl, you know? <laughs> you know, if it don't work out, she got my back. <laughs>
1: Oh my God. This was so good. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. I know we could have gone on forever. And personally, Mm -hmm. I just want to say from hearing you drink kombucha tea to doing yoga, to working out on a regular, to eating green food. I'm the happiest I've ever been to see you physically healthy. I'm the happiest I've ever been to see you mentally healthy because Mm -hmm. I know what you've been through. It's been an up and down journey. I think the stress, you never deserved this, that level of stress.
0: Yeah, and I think yeah. seeing
1: you in the place that you're in, um, it just it it blows my mind and it makes me happy on another level. And it almost makes me feel like that failure was the best redirection you've ever been given in the 20 years that I've watched you develop. So I feel like I'm blessed to have witnessed it and be a part of it. And I just want to say thank you so much for being my forever friend and, uh, and opening up on my podcast
2: you know, I got your back. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. love you. You know, I don't know how many more of these we're going to do. Probably a bunch because
1: we'll update every time you change.
2: Yeah. I, <laughs> to say because, I mean, you know, both of us will have some changes soon, I'm sure. And then we'll have to.
1: I'll be running a six-figure business listeners. by the end of this year. You say what? I said, oh, don't worry. I'll be running a six-figure business by the end of this year.
2: Mm, You're
1: I mean, going to want me on the podcast.
2: I'm just kidding. (laughs) You're damn right. I want
1: (laughs) you (laughs) now. All right. So tell everybody where they can find out about the cuffing season, where they can follow and learn more about you and just like what they can be on the lookout for from you and where they can stalk you on social media.
2: Okay. So you can stalk me on Instagram. Uh, My handle is Rontel underscore Beatty. That's R-O-N-T-E-L underscore B-A-T-I-E. Unique name. I know I got a lot of nicknames growing up cuffing season um the podcast is called the cuffing season podcast is available on itunes spotify stitcher um google play the website is www.itscuffingseason.com it's where you can find information about our coaching um there's also a link to the podcast as well as some of our blog posts that's about it
1: that's it it's all the goods
2: all the goods wow. Hit me up man I'm i'm responsive too
1: He is. He's responsive, y'all. All All right. Rontel, thank you so much for sharing, being vulnerable, and being on the Stranded Podcast and telling us about one of the best stranded phases I've ever heard. And we look forward to hearing you continue to grow from it.
2: Always, man. Your podcasts are like therapy for me. It's like free therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate you for being my coach for so many years.
1: Whatever. We've been doing this for too long. We ain't going to let each other fail now. (laughs) There we go.